And I showed him my little spiral bound at the top, <laughs> you know, flip over that I had every session recorded. And he looked at me and said, hey, do you want to learn how to make real money? And um, changed my life because what I did was, uh, you know, he, he was a part-time poker player and a full-time smuggler. And uh, <laughs> I spent three years uh, hanging with him, oh, doing yeah. all kinds of crazy things. He was, he was Han Solo, sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he, he, and and he he understood he understood these things, and he, and he and he said, you know, I, I, I it was it was it was amazing. I'll, t- I'll tell you one of the things he taught me, which just changed everything. He hands me this book on poker. I knew enough about poker. I had played it with my father and his friends and all that stuff. But anyway, I read the book, and I come back and I say, well, you know, here's all the things I already knew about poker. And he said, well, obviously nobody taught you how to read, which was a big insult for me. Mm. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, I didn't ask you to go tell me all the things that you knew in the book. Tell me all the things you didn't know in the book. He goes, your your eyes will find all of those pattern matches, but you need to train yourself to see the other side of that. You got to see deeper than that. And if you don't see deeper than that, then you don't know shit and you're going to get your ass kicked. Welcome to the Innovative Founder. The show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Rignaris and Brandon Boyd. Hello, founders. Welcome to the show. Hello. Bob, great to have you back from uh, Florida and golfing yeah. and fun. Yep. Here in uh, 2023. Um, I'm looking out my window at snow falling. Lovely. Um, it is 70. Well, we're, what is it? It's, it's early April when we're recording this. It's very yes. gray, very rainy here yeah. in Chicago. So I just found out that, uh, some of the ski resorts have extended their season into July in uh, Utah. I was visiting friends in Utah, uh, a future guest in the show, but, uh, they said, yeah, that's, it's so, so much snowfall. It's going to be into July for, for skiing in Utah for you ski fans. Wow. Out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Where did um, you visit this weekend? I was in Salt Lake City visiting um, a, a really good friends of mine, a uh, Brit and John, uh, Brit Lefko. She's a coach, a mindset coach, and uh, she'll be on the show here very soon. Yeah. So very world class at what she does and uh, amazing. You know, I, I've told her since day one working with her, I think she's the next Tony Robbins. I think she's evolving this idea of mindset to a very a greater level and uh, we're dear dear friends and so it was fun to visit with them and catch up and all that so cool. um, how do you yeah. uh how do you do a visit where you don't uh make her work for you we she absolutely worked for me she we we, we get into these deep heady conversations um i think would probably for hours that would probably exhaust most people and it was funny um because sunday Sunday morning, we, you know, we agreed to do like a photo shirt for her just to kind of update her, her, her brand photos and such. And, uh, and we agreed, you know, that she was going to kind of do, go into my brain and do some work, you know, and by Sunday morning, I was, so I, I said, you know, Britt, I was going to ask you when you wanted to do kind of my session, you know, my, 
my coaching session with you. And then I realized the things that I wanted to bring up with you weren't there anymore. And she just smiled and winked and said, yeah, I got you. I took care of you. She was, so work, she, is, she was working you the whole time. Oh, she worked me the whole time. She's so surgical with the work that she does. Uh, it's absolutely fascinating. It's, it's, it's beyond anything you're going to find in a book, I think. And it's, it's quite amazing what she's able to do. Um, and that's, that's why she works for Meta and she works for Google as one of her, their, uh, their corporate uh, mindset coaches. So amazing woman. She's going to be on. Uh, here yeah, shortly. That's a good tease, but it's a good bridge to uh, our guest today. Oh my gosh. Also somewhat of a mind reader. Oh my gosh. John Paul Mendoja. Uh, such a fan of John. We, uh, we, we've kind of known each other and known of each other over the years and interacted. John is a gem and uh, we we've all kind of interacted in this internet marketing space, yeah. uh, but he's got amazing stories. Um, yeah. John was one of my, uh, one of my first guests on uh, when I had a radio show in Chicago, John came on um, pretty early on. Like I said, one of the first guests I've ever interviewed. So that's going back, going back mm -hmm. at least a decade and a mm -hmm. half. And uh, yeah, we've, John's been part of uh, Perry Marshall's world for a long time. That's how we got to know each other. And uh, John is, John is an interesting character. I'm not sure I know anybody like him. Would, no. would that be accurate? I, I, I don't know anyone like him. And I, I think we kind of hit it today. John is a combination of the, the guy from Wolf of Wall Street and from Better Call Saul in his stories. He, and experiences. Saul, yeah, Saul Goodman and the Wolf of Wall Street kind of yeah. mixed in. Um, amazing, amazing stories of his life, um, card counting in Vegas, um, and then moving into becoming a someone who goes and finds people for private poker parties uh, to 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 have them lose all their money. John is John is a genius in human behavior without yes. ever studying it. John yes. John didn't take probably never took a psychology course in his life. Yeah, but I'm not sure I've met somebody that can read somebody better than John. And it's almost kind of scary because you're not, he probably hasn't even told us what he knows about us. Exactly. Right? Yes. But the fact it, that he still likes talking to us and considers us friends is probably it, a good it's, thing. It's, it's refreshing. It's yeah. refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh God, what does he notice? Yeah. So this, this is going to be a little bit of a longer interview, but the, the idea here is that John is quite a character. And uh, again, you'll, you'll never hear anybody like him on our mm -hmm. show before or in the future and i think you're gonna just uh, i i would love for people to sit back and just kind of understand how a street smart entrepreneur is built and yeah. i think john would be a good example of that so i think people are gonna be entertained they're gonna be amazed they're probably gonna drop their jaws a few times um but john is who he is and he's an absolute joy to listen to so i think we can't wait for people to hear him so let's uh let's bring john on now shall we Let's do it. Let's get into the show. Here's John Paul Mendoza. Welcome, founders, to the show. Strap in, folks. Strap in. <laughs> oh, we've got a legend. We've got John Paul Mendoza. Um, perhaps how, one you of the most, gonna, how are you even going to describe John? I'm just going to describe him as one of the most colorful and interesting humans in, this, in this gnarly world of internet marketing and sales and um, one of the, what someone described John, um, which I think is perfect, uh, that is someone who lives without a net. 
And uh, the, what we're going to get into today, I'm so excited because John has got some of the most hilarious and interesting and, and wrenching stories of living without a net in, in, in different avenues. I'm not going to take anything away from, from the context of this, but John, welcome. Welcome to the show. Glad to be here, guys. And you know, when, when you guys start talking about strapping in, at least it wasn't strapping on. So I just, was, <laughs> just wanted just want to start off with that. You know, I'm yes. Like, yes. Wait a second. Did I did I did I fall into? Yeah. The well, wrong place? surprise. Hope you brought the lube. Surprise. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to the dungeon. <laughs> Welcome to our dungeon. <laughs> oh, uh, sales BDSM. Great. Yes. You know, is that astro glide I smell in here? <laughs> <laughs> Reserve a special bottle for you. So, John, and there we go. Here we go, John. What's going on in your life? What is what is exciting? What is new? What is different? What are you What are you excited about? What's happening right now? Well, I, I'm excited about the fact that that we have all this chaos taking place in the world, and with all this chaos, means that there's opportunity, and you've got to just figure out how to get to those opportunities. I, I just just acquired part of a staffing company. Because every time there's a layoff, you know one thing, somebody's got to be doing that work. So you have more people that you can place and you've got opportunities to go do it. And uh, so we're so we're rocking on that right now. That's that's one of the things I'm rocking on right now. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so how many, how many businesses are you involved in right now, John? I have direct ownership in six businesses right now. So okay. we, we, we got we had six going, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, Everything seems to be you know, up and down, but everything seems to be doing okay right now. And and they and they and they stretch from an engineering services company that sells uh, high tech to the defense business, to uh, you know doing staffing, to doing commercial appraisals. Uh, I still I'm doing I do consulting, uh, do coaching, uh, yeah, just just to stay busy, you know. Cool. cool. Well, let, let's start with 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 the moniker Doctor Speed Selling trademarked. Tell tell us how that came about. So that came about because I was I fell into or landed on Planet Dan. I'm by the way I'm the originator of the Planet thing with really? Kennedy. Yeah. Yep. I'm the guy who said it. I said it's Planet Dan, and Dan said, "Oh, that's clever." And I said, "Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> just if you use it, remind me, remind people." So yeah, I, I'm the guy who started that. <laughs> So what I did was, yes, was I, I, is, is I was at a Kennedy event and uh, I ended up talking to and getting to know a guy who was known as Dr. Quick Kill because he could hit you 27 times in 30 seconds or some shit like that. Anyway, he, he was he was a very interesting guy and, and everybody was very standoffish from this guy. And I walked up and said, this is my kind of guy. Anyway, he and I got to know each other and uh, over, you know, over some, you know, country fried steak at a at a very Ooh. weird diner in in scottsdale he and i were sitting there and i said you know what if you're dr quick kill i'm dr speed selling and he looked at me and he said fuck yeah man yeah. <laughs> and uh i went back and tried it on at the rest of the seminar and then went out and got the uh the trademarks amazing so that's, where, that's where the name came from it, it really was based upon the concept that I would show up in a sales circumstance or situation and could turn around sales quickly or find a way. So sometimes you can't, this is where people would call come over to me and say, I've got a sales cycle that's two years. You know, they're selling some weird software or something. 
And I go, okay, so here's what you need to do. You either need to shorten the sales cycle or you need to, what I call decontent the labor, which means that you want to look like, like, like that is the only customer you ever had, only prospect you've ever had, but put in as little energy as you possibly can uh, at times when it's dormant, but you want to make it look like you're on top of it. And that's hmm. that's really where that, that came from, because I, you know, my, one of my biggest deals I ever closed in technology took 30 months to happen. And uh, exact, I just wore out my competition. They were so into it up front. But as this thing started getting longer and longer and longer, I just kept finding ways to make this thing work. And people would say to me, including the company I work for, God, you got to quit spending so much time. And I said, well, and at the time I kept a time log. I said, I'm spending virtually no time. But what I would do is I'd get up at six in the morning. I would be up already, but I would I would call 15 people inside of this company. Hey, by the way, this is you know, this is John Paul Medocha, da, 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 da. And, and people would go, oh my God, this guy's on top of it all the time. Well, that would take 15 minutes, maybe. You know, and they were like, wow, this guy, you know, boom. Yeah, this guy, we've got to talk to this guy. And uh, so that so that's where this whole speed selling thing came from, which is you either shorten it. And you get to the close or you decontent the labor so that way you can make it to the long run. Because you know, marathoners, you know, you, you know, let's face it, I, I always love the whole marathon thing. I never ran one. I mean, I'm you know, you, you guys have met me, those who haven't just heard me. You know, I'm I'm always the the before picture, you know, I mean, <laughs> the after picture. So, but yeah, you know, I, I always there's love there's a place that. for everyone, John. There's a place for everyone. Yeah, well, and I always love that, you know, people say, well, you know, I'm running a marathon. I go, you realize they named it after a city and the first dude who ran it and won died. Jeez, okay? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, come on, man. Can we... <laughs> so that so that's where the speed selling thing came from. Awesome. And then the other thing is that is that I, I realized early on that 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 since you can actually start closing earlier. That, and since nobody closed and now today in today's world, you know, we've got a whole generation of people who, you know, I get, I guess they want to, you know, like, you know, gum people to death or something. You know I mean? You know, you know, imagine if piranha became, you know, politically correct, they would you know, remove all their teeth and just gum somebody or something. I mean, but, but I would, I would start closing people early on. And it was astonishing how many times people would not view that as a negative. I mean, it is a negative if you, if every, other word you're saying is buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. But if in fact what you're doing is you're is you're, you know, building a fortress where they just say, you know, these are John's words. I'll get them you know, into my head, and then I'm going to say his words. And I used to work really hard. Now, I learned that playing poker, but I used to work really hard at driving messages into people's heads. So they told my message to my competitor which drove my competitor batshit crazy. Tell me about that. Give me an example of that. This sounds very interesting. Well, I, yeah, so I'll give, so I, I used to do it when I, when I started doing the whole info thing is if yeah. I went to a seminar and I could talk, this is before I got on stage, when I was sitting on the other side of the, the, the table, if you will, is I would get there early and go to like breakfast with one of the speakers and so I, I did this to, uh, you know, there's this guy, Alan Weiss, million dollar consultant and all that yeah. stuff. Anyway, I go, I go in there and here's Alan eating breakfast early because he's on East Coast time. And I said, oh, yeah, I wanted to beat the traffic, blah, blah, blah. Bullshit story. I just wanted to sit, sit there. And I had just made a commitment to myself. 
can I inject a phrase into Alan's head? Very accomplished guy. Can I inject this into his head, get the virus in there and have him say those words to the entire group? Well, I did. I, I, I gave him a line. I gave him an expression and he went, well, that's, that's pretty clever. That's pretty good. And he started the whole seminar, which I actually have it on audio cassette. Tells you how long ago it was. And, and I have it. And here he is. He's saying, my, he said it exactly the way I said it. And I went, there you go. Now, I learned that, again, from Vegas days. Because in Vegas days, if I can get in somebody's head, and most people say, oh, you know, I'm there rent-free. Well, it isn't being there rent-free. I mean, being a renter is like being a squatter. I mean, all you bring is, you know... <laughs> trash and some you know beer cans or something but i want to i want to change what they're doing i want to get them to think differently so in vegas as, as an example one of the things that i would do with somebody if i was sitting across the table and i would look at them and i would say the following line now there's like 150 different ways to say this line and and the guy that i learned this from taught me all these different ways to say it but i would look at somebody and i would say like i'd look at bob and there would be Bob and Bob would have his poker face on, you know, and Bob would be, you know, his badass self. Right. And, uh, and I'd look at him and I just, I just say, you're going to play those cards. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, depending upon where Bob was at, if Bob was totally in the zone, he'd go like, what? Now understand I'm doing cash games. I'm not doing tournaments. And Bob would go, what did you say? And I go, Hey, <laughs> you're going to play those cards. And then Bob, <laughs> it just starts working on his brain and he starts going, what does this guy know? What is this guy saying? How is this working? And all I need is that little snap. All I need is a few milliseconds of messing in his head and it changes people. And, and learning that, I just learned that I could go do that in the business world without any trouble whatsoever. Now, people later on said, oh, that sounds like, you know, you know, submodal, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Eh, I don't know. Ah, okay. You know, <laughs> most of the guys that, that, that were teaching that shit never did it. And never did it with guys who had weapons. So I mean, I just said, look, it's you know, it's come on, it's you know, it's kind of a mamby pamby. But yeah, so that so that's what that means is that you get into people's heads, and you get them to say something, and when they start thinking in your terms, if they take your language, away it goes. And the and the example that I love to give everybody is is when I when I discovered Starbucks, and I saw how they were they were mind fucking everybody. I used to go sit in Starbucks and watch the, the people do it. And, you know, and, and, and somebody would walk up, you could always tell the, the fawn, you know, the, the deer that was a little bit nervous in the meadow walking up and they didn't know quite how to order and they didn't know what to say. And, you yeah. know, I want this size, but what is this size? And I didn't know this. And I would go, Jesus, they're just mind fucking these people with coming up with words. And I went, this is exactly what I was doing. This is it. This is my people. This is that. You know, I, always, I love you people. I love where have you been? Yeah. So I, I always love it when they correct you. When this, you know, I used to say uh, a medium coffee or a small coffee. Like, oh, well, no, oh, sir. you'd like a tall or a, or a venti or a grande or a grande. No, no. I would like a medium motherfucker. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I need. A medium. And I don't need you to correct me because I'm paying $3 for this cup of coffee. Yeah. Yeah. But well, now I, you I, order it. But now you order a grande. Of course I do. I order it all. That's all. like I, I've tapped. I tapped out. Like I'm not going to fight yeah. with you, little little lady at the at the window. I'm not doing it. All right, oh, yeah. we we got to go back. To, we got to go back to age 17. You yeah, decided to not to go to college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you decided to go to Vegas. Mm. 
Tell me about this. This like, uh, were your parents on board with this? Tell tell me about this journey. Oh yeah, oh yeah, they, yeah, they were like all in. Yeah, <laughs> you go, John. All right. Well, so so the simplest version of the story is that I was going to a private school. I was going to a for all of you people who know like a Montessori. This is like oh. a Montessori on crack kind of school. It was a, it was it was a seventies kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, and those guys went broke. Those guys went tits up, man. Really? And, and when they yeah, nothing like nothing like being you know a, a junior and ready to go to your senior year of high school and and the people that you're that you know because I I had been thrown out of lots of schools. No. And, oh yeah, I know it's a shocker. And in, in fact, yeah, when the when when the when the Monsignor brought my parents in because my sister had gone through Catholic school, my brother had gone through, and you know he didn't go his last you know year. You know he went to a public school last year, but for me, they they brought him in. They brought my parents and they said, "Listen, you know you you've got to take him with you, and he's not coming back." You know, so <laughs> and and I had bounced around a lot of schools, and I found this this alternative school, and it was great because it matched up to what I wanted to do, it, and it was a really hard driven you know well here was the worst part is that they basically sat you down and said you are responsible for your decisions and your life i mean what who the hell tells somebody that wait that's that's bullshit that's pretty advanced bob and i are middle-aged i I resist that all the way yeah yeah i mean who wants to be that adulting shit no that's wow. not gonna do that. Yeah, can, That's pretty advanced can, for the 70s. Yeah, can, can, can you give me somebody? Can you give me a list of people I can blame? You know, give me somebody. <laughs> Jeez, come well, on. well, that's anyway, where you go to a liberal arts college for four years. Just do that. Oh, did I just say that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That. Anyway, so so what happened is is that they went broke, and uh, my father understood this because he was paying them, and they said, You don't need to send any more checks because we're gone. And uh, he said, So we got to figure out where you're gonna go. Now, I couldn't go back to Catholic school because, you know, the Monsignor had the holy water and they had the big cross and, you know, all that. Stuff. You <laughs> As know, you walked and, in. Yeah. 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 So, yeah like, know. oh, there he is. Better, better uh, armor up. Here he comes. Uh, <laughs> Put the dog down, Damien. Right, right. right. Uh, Damien. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you know, I, I was looking for a school. I couldn't really find a school, but I had already started a business. I was already working. I was already selling. And I, I said, well, I could just go get a job. But what I what I did was I went out and I said, how do I find anarchy? How do I go embrace this, you know, anarchy kind of deal? And uh, I went out and got a book called, you know, you know, Beat the Dealer by by Thorpe, which is about playing blackjack. And I started, I read it and I started playing blackjack and I was the best blackjack player in my parents' kitchen. I was the <laughs> best one. I was the top of the and I and I and I had dough, and in in spite of people who say that I hitchhiked to Vegas, I mean I flew. <laughs> yeah, I mean I'm not a I'm not a hitchhiking kind of guy. No, I've had to, but I'm not a hitchhiking kind of guy. And I went to Vegas to go play blackjack, and I started playing blackjack, and I discovered it was a lot harder than the kitchen table. Yeah, and uh, and it was funny because of course people would always say to me. Well, how, how did you do that? You know, and, and, you know, you were underage. Well, you know, you don't walk up to a pit boss and go, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, 
sir, mister, can I, can I play? <laughs> no, you walk up. I had, I had a fake ID, had, had several actually. And, uh, you know, away you go and you start playing. And what I discovered pretty quickly, because I, I knew I was just going to tear Vegas apart, is that Vegas could tear anybody apart. And, and I went from staying in a nice hotel. Very rapidly, I was staying in a by-the-week hotel that, that kind of was designed by like a Soviet architecture or architect. <laughs> And uh, the best part about that is that, you know, we had a lounge area that would be lawn chairs, a makeshift fire pit from a trash can and, <laughs> you know, hookers, drug dealers, pimps, uh, and all those people. And I said, I'm not in Kansas anymore. And uh, I did that for about a year. And that is like one of the toughest jobs you could have ever done. I, you know, I ended up going to a place called the Gambler's Book Club. It wasn't a book club at all. It was a bookstore. <laughs> And, and all these guys hung around all day long playing. They played everything. You know, you name it, they played it. And I started buying all these books about how to play blackjack better. And I bought, bought a book called uh, Playing Blackjack as a Business by Lawrence Revere. A great book. And what I did was I built my own set of flashcards. I started practicing. And I was working like, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day. I realized I needed to practice and, and count decks because I was a counter. So I yeah. needed to count decks and I would count. I, I, I made a goal originally to count 10 decks, not enough, 25, not enough. So I used to count between 50 and 150 decks a day wow. for practice because you had to get your brain on. And, uh, and, and, and luckily at that point in time, I was a, a non now, I, I didn't accept that, that I had a drinky poo problem. So, you know, I, I had to then accept that whenever I lost money, it was because I took a drink before I went to the table. So now I had to be really sober as a judge and all that. So I did that for a year. And ironically, I was sitting in the Gambler's Book Club and, uh, you know, and, and everybody talks to everybody there because we're all trying to figure out how to how to gamble. And I end up talking to this guy and he goes, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I play blackjack. And he goes, oh, are you serious about it? Well, yeah, I am. I've been doing it for about a year. He goes, oh, okay. And I showed him my little spiral bound at the top, <laughs> you know, flip over that I had every session recorded. And he looked at me and said, hey, do you want to learn how to make real money? And um, changed my life because what I did was, uh, you know, he, he was a part-time poker player and a full-time smuggler. <laughs> and uh, I spent three years uh, hanging with him, oh, doing yeah. all kinds of crazy things. He was he was Han Solo, sounds like. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, he, he, and and he had, he understood he understood these things, and he, and he and he said, you know, I, I, I it was it was it was amazing. I'll I'll tell you one of the things he taught me, which just changed everything. He hands me this book on poker. I knew enough about poker. I had played it with my father and his friends and all that stuff. But anyway, I read the book. And I come back and I say, well, you know, here's all the things I already knew about poker. And he said, well, obviously nobody taught you how to read, which was a big insult for me. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he goes, I didn't ask you to go tell me all the things that you knew in the book. Tell me all the things you didn't know in the book. He goes, your, your eyes will find all of those pattern matches, but you need to train yourself to see the other side of that. You got to see deeper than that. And if you don't see deeper than that, then you don't know shit and you're going to get your ass kicked. And um, from there, we started, I started really getting serious about learning how to gamble, but mostly how to play people because the arc goes like this. You know, you play blackjack. It, it is the hardest, worst job I ever had in my life because you practice all that time. 
And then you sit at the table and you have to make sure that nobody understands that you know anything about playing blackjack because they'll figure out, you know, and they'll kick your ass out. Of course, in those days, they would, you know, they would hit you with the pipe or something. Um, and then, and I'm not talking about like a crack pipe, I'm talking about metal. <laughs> Um, and then, and then, and then I was playing poker and, and, you know, people would say, well, geez, that, you know, that must've been a lot of fun. Well, yeah, except I don't play for fun. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you know, sharks don't, you know, don't, don't ravage something just because they're like, Hey, you know, I, I'm doing this for sport. You know, they don't have yeah. like a show on the nature channel. Uh, well, I guess they do shark NATO, but anyway, uh, and then, and then you learn how to play people because what I did was I started doing what were called prop bets and I would bet anybody, anything. And it was great because then I get to make stuff up. I mean, as an example, you know, you, you go and offer a guy 75 to one odds in a baseball game and the guy goes, God, 75 to one, I bet you 10 bucks. And you know, you're going to give me 75 times. Well, what they don't know is the true odds are 3000 to one, you know? So, you know, why wouldn't you do it? Well, people would say, well, then why didn't you give them 10 to one? Well, because 10 to one doesn't get the money out of the guy's pocket, you know, oh. <laughs> hello. No, anyway, that's so that, that that's my short version of, of my Vegas days. And and uh, what I realized is that I could take all of the skill set and come back to the, the more normal world and apply it to business. And the best part about playing poker today is that most of the people I play poker with, they there are no cards. They don't even know they're playing a game. And I'm playing at that level. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. You know, and, and, that, and, and so that so that so that's the short version of how how that whole process happened. And the, and the key is that is that if you have to make money every day by reading people and understanding people, yeah. you become much better at it because here's here's you know a key for all of your listeners. We are so internally focused. Almost all of us are internally focused mm -hmm. that we cannot see what's going on around us. And that, that applies to me, applies to everybody. Now, I wish I was the guy who said it. I wish my guy said it. You know, Freud talked about it. Aristotle talked about it. There's some guy who probably Aristotle heard it from, but, you know, who knows? But it's all about you, you when you become so inwardly focused that you can't see other people. That's what really kicks your ass. Hmm. Hey, if you haven't quite had your fill of Mr. John Paul Mendoza, uh, you're going to want to get a copy of his book. Uh, it's called Most Businesses Fail in the First Five Minutes. It just takes three to five years to find out. Um, subtitle is Position to Win, and you could find that at positiontowinbook.com. If you want to figure out uh, kind of how to, how to tap into John's mind, uh, the book is a good place to start. Uh, he and his partner, Gabe, have a great podcast called Position to Win, and they have the Position to Win system. So you can find everything there that you need, positiontowinbook.com. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Ricknaris and Brendan Boyd. Let me ask this. So what was the shift then when... when he asked you, you know, do you want to make some real money in, in the pattern recognition? What began to happen? What would we build us a bridge? Tell us a story there about instead of you becoming deeply educated on, say, blackjack and getting out there and pretending that you didn't know what you're doing and trying to win that way, you became I forget the word you used in a previous conversation, but you became someone to like look for marks. Is that what I was hearing is you're looking for people who. Yeah, thought they knew what they were doing, and your job was to kind of trip them up. Tell us about that transition. 
Well, so so the, the the way that I really got connected with him is that we went to from that discussion, learn how to make real money, is we went to the Vegas Convention Center. And as we're walking around the convention center, he goes, yeah, they're going to be around here somewhere. And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Hmm. And we found this stack of coupons. In those days, most, you know, they didn't have, you know, everybody logged in ahead of time and stuff. And he found this big giant stack of papers and had a rock on top of it. And these were discount coupons that somebody was hired to hand out because they're advertising, right? You know, and and so he said, "Here's, here's the pitch. Let's see if you can do this. And it was, you get three bucks off. So he goes, what you want to do, and the pitch is, is you walk up to, to somebody who's walking in and you say, do you have your discount coupon? And invariably they wouldn't. And you say, listen, if I give you $2, would you give me $1? And people would say, what do you mean? I said, well, I've got these discount coupons. I'm supposed to meet my friends here. I don't know what happened. Maybe they got stuck at the tables. Who knows what happens? Uh, you know, so I'll tell you what, I'll sell you this, you know, give me a buck, I'll sell you the discount coupon. And I made $238 in about one hour, which is more than I ever made in blackjack for a hell of a lot less work. And he looked at me and I said, I said, so we're going to do this every day. And he goes, no, no, that was, that was my way of testing to see if you would actually get out of your own way. Hmm. And then, and he said, let's go to dinner. And we went to, um, you know, if I remember it right, we went to Caesars or Dunes or something. And we spent more money on the meal than I ever spent in my life because we spent it all. And he said, you know what? You know, you're, you're probably a guy that, that could work out. And so that's that's why I, I had this epiphany, a $238 epiphany, which was why the hell am I, you know, working my ass off so hard for that? Eventually, I become the guy who, you know, we, we're always looking for marks to come to a private poker game. And people would say to me, you know, over, these, over the decades, John, why would anybody come to a private poker game? Well, there's several reasons. Number one is even in those days when it was kind of swashbuckling Vegas, you know, uh, how about this? You, you couldn't snort Coke at a poker table. You couldn't do that. That's, you know, they, they wouldn't let you do that. Uh, you know, you couldn't have a hooker sit on your lap while you're playing poker. Uh, <laughs> you couldn't, you couldn't, uh, you know, you know, bring weapons you couldn't do i mean there are all these <laughs> rules you know, rules 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 terrible rules. just awful yeah i mean what what were they thinking what fun so, yeah what were they thinking so so what what my job was is to go build a network of people and every you know every parking valet mater d waitress bartender stripper hooker whoever we would pay finders fees for them to do it. One would call that lead generation funnel, you know? Yeah. Think. Yeah. And uh, it's all context. And, <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, and, and, and I, and I used to walk around and, and I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you, so I'll, here's one of my, my favorite stories is that, is that Monday night football, they would have these little baby tiny screens bolted up in the sky and they, and the, the sports books were not like they are today. Right. But you, I, I would walk in and certain games were better than other games for getting marks. So I walk in and I, and I spy these three guys sitting there and they're Philadelphia Eagle fans. Perfect. It's a perfect <laughs> night because it's, you know, Eagles, Giants, you know, Philadelphia, everybody from Philadelphia. And if you're from Philadelphia and you get pissed off, just know that it's because you're, I'm speaking truth to your angst. Okay. Not truth to power, truth to your angst. First off, it was supposed to be the capital of the country. Missed out on that. 
Second was going to be the financial center. Missed out on that. Next, what about a harbor? Yeah, you're screwed on that. And you got a cracked bell. There you go. <laughs> Done. Done. So these guys are sitting there and I walk up and I say, hey, fellas, how's the game going? Now, I had waited for a very specific moment. And they said, well, we just went to commercial break, uh, you know. Eagles, you know, they're third and 17 and, you know, we, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, and I said, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm running late, guys. I got to get some action on the game. I'll tell you what, I'll bet you a hundred bucks. Eagles don't make a first down. Guy goes, what? You know, I, I, I said, listen, hey, I got to get some action. Got it. I mean, come on, come on. And the guy says, well, all right. Well, what, what do you, I said, a yeah, hundred bucks. They don't make the first down. And this guy looks at me and he goes, no, 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 it's third and 17. I said, okay, listen, I know. I got to get some action. All right, I'll take the Eagles. You take the Giants, 100 bucks. What do you think? And this guy goes, yeah, that sounds pretty good. And his buddy jumps up and arm bars him and says, Ted, don't you see that this guy is mind-fucking you, man? <laughs> so if you win that bet for the rest of your life, you have to tell people that you bet on the Giants against the Eagles. Don't you see what he's doing to you, man? <laughs> and Ted looks at me and goes, bullshit. I got the Eagles. You got the Giants. Comes back. Of course, they don't make the first down. So we're going back and forth because I'm trying to see how far the hook will go in. And these three guys are betting me. We're in the middle of the fourth quarter. I don't give a shit who's going to win. All I'm trying to see is how much cash do these guys have? How much money do they have? Right? Because you know, we, we don't want little minnows. We want bigger people, bigger. And in the middle of the fourth quarter, and, and of course, you guys have been around me a little bit. You know, I, I could be a fun, happy guy. By the way, the drinks are coming like crazy because, of course, the waitress who covers this area knows me and knows uh -huh. that every time she brings the drinks over faster, there's more money in it, mm. you know, and these guys are like giving her a dollar, a dollar, you know, I'm giving her a 20 every time. I mean, you know, anyway, so these guys are getting all excited in the middle of the fourth quarter. I look at my watch and I said, Hey guys, I, this has been great. I'm up 800 bucks, by the way. I said, <laughs> Hey, this has been great. I got to go. I'm going to a private poker game. And these guys look at me and go, well, well, how come we can't go to a private poker game? And I said, hey, guys, this is a cash game. You got to have real money. You got to really show it. And I and I had I had what I called the fan roll. A fan roll is a roll that you a bankroll that you fan out for people. And yeah, it was yeah. it was seventy five hundred bucks, which at that in that day and age, that was like real money. Even today, you know, be like real money. So yeah. I fan it. And these guys go, well, bullshit, we got money. And they're pulling money out of their socks and their underwear. Oh, they all told they got like 35,000 bucks. <laughs> and I said, guys, we're going to a private game. And away <laughs> we go. Oh. And, uh, and I get there and I do what I do because, of course, I'm, I'm there to bring them in. And I play and I lose 3,500 bucks like bang. And these guys look at me and I say, hey, guys, you guys are my, you know, you're my bad luck charms. And they're swearing at me and I'm swearing at them and they're screaming at me and I'm screaming at them. And I get up and as I'm walking out, it's a chorus of loser, loser, fucker, loser. And I walk out the door. And of course, what they ended up with was a memory, uh, a Vegas memory, because they had no money at the end, because, of course, that was the whole point of it. 
So that, so that's what I got to do a lot of in Vegas is do, uh, and, and I don't know if, if that would be like the, the kind of funnel that normally people think of, but that was my fun. Well, well, I would say in the, uh, in the, in the, the early um, days of internet marketing, when it was about extracting as much cash from the credit cards at events as possible, um, then yeah, I would say, holy cow, what a amazingly orchestrated experience. <laughs> well, I and I used to I used to go to events before they would would let me get up on stage. And, yeah, and I, I used to go to events. I used to sell stuff, you know, out in the audience. And yeah, I would I, I would you know I, mean, I always had order forms. I always had, I mean, why wouldn't I? I had discount coupons from Vegas. Why wouldn't <laughs> right. I have order forms? Exactly. Why yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I sold I sold something for Kennedy in a bar. Uh, it, it's it's a quick story. So we're sitting there at, at an event and uh, this guy is sitting there and we're talking and, uh, you know, and, and ever since I've gotten sober, it's even easier to sell on a bar because I always say to somebody, yeah, have another drink. That's a good idea. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I'm sitting there talking to this guy. I said, well, so what do you think about the event? And he goes, well, it's a great event. I said, well, yeah. So are, are you, you know, I'm a platinum member. Are you, what are you? And he goes, well, I'm actually here with a friend of mine who brought me in on a buddy ticket. And I said, so you've gone through a day of this and you haven't signed up for like silver? He goes, well, I'm, I'm thinking about it. I said, well, when are you going to do it? He goes, well, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know if they had an, an offer. I said, hang on, we'll do it right now. So I get the bartender. He gives me a, a napkin. I sign the guy up. I check his credit card. I get all of that. I get the zip code. I got all that stuff right on the bar napkin. And I said, sign this fucker right here. And he signs it. And I go find uh, one, of, one of Dan's, you know, Dan had people work the show. And I walk over and I said, Tracy, you know, here's an order for, for silver. Next day, <laughs> I'm standing there doing what I do is talking to people. And Dan walks up and goes, I got to talk to you. And I said, Okay. Talk to me about what? He goes, you sold a silver membership in the bar, and I said, I wouldn't go for gold. What can I tell you? <laughs> Which he wouldn't. I told, I told him, you know, hey, I'll tell you what, you should be in gold so much that I'm going to give you an extra. I'll give you a hundred bucks off. Dan says, well, how are you going to give him a hundred bucks off? I said, well, I'd either call, I'd either walk over to you and say, do you want this guy for a hundred bucks off, or I'll give you a hundred bucks, but I'm going to make the sale. So there you go. All right, John. So now people are thinking, all right, so Bob and Brandon have just introduced us to Saul Goodman. Right? <laughs> like, okay. So combination of Saul Goodman and uh, the, the guy from Wolf of Wall Street. Well, that kind of combination. Yeah. 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 So okay. Let's, yeah. let's, <laughs> let's make sure people know that, uh, that you've got redeemable qualities and you yeah. are a good man. So let's, let's make the bridge here. So from, from the world of Vegas and gambling and reading people, how, how did you take those skills to the business world? What, what did you take with you? Well, what I took with me is that, is that once you know how to read people, you have an, you have an inherent advantage mm. in, in what you're going to do. Now you have to find a game that you can win at. And this is another thing I learned from Vegas is you need to find a game you can win at. Mm -hmm. And therefore you need to go finding things that are going to work. So what I did was I came back, I worked for my father, really bad idea, and <laughs> helped him helped him do better, but really bad idea. Then I started selling office products. Um, you know, I mean, there, there were like little stints of other things. And, and by the way, I would tell anybody who's out there if, if you aren't willing to take whatever job you have to take when, when you have to take it, 
because you're going to hang out and wait for whatever, um, th then you've got a mental problem, you got a mental block. Because I mean, I, I used to work, I used to work the, the night shift at Surfco gas station, which was, which was great because it was, you know, I could read, I got free cigarettes. Uh, and, and on top of that, I, you know, I, I got, I could go to, uh, interviews early in the morning. But what I did was I was looking for where I could go and I was selling office products. And then what I realized is that I could find this thing called technology. And so I went out and I, I started selling technology and worked my way in it. I have to, you know, uh, make sure I, I toss this out because my brother, Michael was already in the business. Uh, nepotism works people. I mean, you know, Hey, <laughs> So, so what I did was, was I, you know, I got into that gig and uh, once I started selling technology, I realized this was perfect because I was selling against people who were engineers. I was selling against people who, who were not very, who were very introverted, all of that. And I just started selling and selling and selling, convinced somebody to move me to California, um, took actually one, two, three jobs to a company that, that, that I would work for that I knew I could become the number one salesperson. And most importantly, they, they would give me enough stock that I would become what no one in my family, no, no one in my lineage had ever been, which was a millionaire, which of course I pissed that money away, you know, uh, and, and, you know, cause I've done that a couple of times, but, but the point of it is, is that, is that how I applied it to business is that, is that I knew that if I could get into complicated sales against other competitors who were not as, um, not as aware of these things, the better it would be, which is what led me eventually to doing consulting and the whole Dr. Speed selling thing. Because here, here's the difference. Every one of these companies, and I mean, even little companies uh, in tech, we're, we're offering people to go to seminars and, uh, you know, go to training and all that. And most of the people who were there would like go, oh God, we got to go do this. And I went there and said, how do I extract as much as I possibly can. Remember, how do you read a book? You read a book looking for the things you don't know, not what you do know. Mm. So I applied that to business. And then I found that since I could operate under pressure, extreme pressure and not buckle, that being a turnaround guy paid a lot more money than, than being just a regular consultant. Because see, if I do sales training, so all right, Brandon, Bob, we're going to now do the alternative choice close. Sally, do you want the blue one or the red one? one? Let's practice this again. Well, that works. And of course it works. But what's better is to say, Sally, we're running out of blue. Oh, you wanted blue? Now, how did I know she wanted blue? Well, because of the tail. Well, Sally, if you want the blue one, well, we're going to have to move quickly, aren't we? Now that now that that's a whole different technique method, but teaching that to people is okay. You know, a, a, after the tell, what what I did was I started then applying it to doing turnarounds, and one of the things that I also started doing is is I still do uh, a thing called Speed Start Monday. Speed Start Monday is a weekly one hour. That's me talking for an hour. I don't do any pitching. Then we have some Q and A, but essentially I've done nine hundred and sixty three webinars, seminars uh, over a 19 plus year period. And part of that is, is it allows me to dive into sales the way I see sales, not the traditional way. It's not that I didn't learn all that stuff. It's just, how do you really apply it? So that's how I, I ended up applying that uh, to business. Also, I can mimic 
this is from my Vegas days, I can mimic somebody and how they sound and show them how they can use these capabilities themselves. And more importantly, how to sell at a, at a higher dollar amount. Um, so I, you know, th those are the things that kind of started getting to applied to business. And the, the real key, quick turnaround story is my signature turnaround, my first turnaround, which took a lot of work to get in the door, is this company, I only got part of the company, but this part of the company, they had done $800,000. They had four guys working for them. They lost money on every sale. And I fired those four, four guys. Uh, I hired 19 salespeople who I only had to pay when they sold something. So they were all commission only. And we went from 800K to $7.8 million in 38 months. The last year that I did that for them, we generated just short of $5 million in profit, which is $50 million. It was a publicly held company, $50 million in shareholder value. Now, that that says that this can work in any environment. And the other thing is that what it told me is that I could then go do that in a whole variety of different industries, which I have. I've done about 40 turnarounds in my career. Always looking for more, by the way. If you have a business that you think needs to be turned around, give me a call. Um, and, and I can tell you that once people start getting serious about turning around a business, it's amazing some of the things you can do. Hmm. I think that's that struck me about you, John, is you get involved in so many different things. Um, and like the, just the diversity of the stuff you get involved in. It's almost like, well, John doesn't care, but I know you've got some criteria. So like when, when somebody approaches you to be part of their business or consult with them, like what, what are good criteria that you're looking for that, that says, Hey, I want to get involved in this. I, I, I can, I can tell you the blunt way of what I'm looking for, I can tell you the flowery way. The, the, the nice way to say it is I'm looking for somebody who is open to being teachable. The blunt way is I'm looking for people who aren't fucked in the head. Mm. So, you know, and, and what I mean by that is that, you know, if you're out there and most businesses that are unsuccessful are unsuccessful because they have attitudes and mindsets that stop them from being successful. And and that manifests itself in the fact that you know they they will not go out there and attack a market. Anytime I sit down with a with a potential client and I say, give me a list of your competitors, and they say, Well, you know, we really don't have competitors, you know, then I know we got a problem. Anytime I talk talk to somebody who says, I can't raise prices because, well. The market is going down the drain. Well, then why are we in this market or what can we add to it? So I'm always looking for the, the right mindset. So it, it always comes down to, you know, are, are the people, you know, can we, can I work with the people who are there? And again, I'm not, a, you know, I'm not, I'm not there necessarily to be their friend. So sometimes that gets taken the wrong way because we, we have to do some tough things. Second thing that I'm looking for is the marketplace. Is this a marketplace that we can that we can attack, that we can go out and make some money on, that we can go do some things? And and the final thing is is you know, how do we extract the most margin out of this and move this along? Whenever someone says that you know we're all going to the bottom, we're all going to the bottom, then how come Lamborghini just had its best year? How come mm -hmm. Rolls Royce just had its best year? 
How come there's a shortage of Rolex watches in the globe? Which you know, I right now I, I'm I'm putting together a GoFundMe page so John gets a new Rolex because you know I mean they're, they're you know you can't buy them right now. So those are the things I look for is is, is that. But the biggest thing is you know mentally are they going to be tough enough to be able to do this? Because usually people aren't very tough mentally, and they're and they're beaten down. And I understand. I mean I had six simultaneous lawsuits. I had two bankruptcies. You know, all in a all in an eighteen month period. I can tell you, not a fun time, but I had a mental toughness because here's how I measure that. And again, I'm not patting myself on the back. Here's how I measure it: didn't go back to drinking, didn't go back to drugs, didn't get a divorce. Okay, hmm. that that's mental toughness. Yeah. Was I happy yeah. with that? Was I happy watching all of this money go away and all this other stuff happening? No. But what I can tell you is that if you're not if you're not able to to mentally understand that this stuff is going to happen in your life and you're going to keep marching on, then you know what? You're, you're probably not going to make it. Mm. Hey, everybody. I, I am on the edge of my seat uh, for today's show. I absolutely love talking with John. The stories are endless. Uh, it, it's just an amazing example of how story can carry lessons, insights, and value for people. And at Feed Stories and now at strategicstoryplaybook.com, we've put together something for you kind of special. And it's a way for you to take your stories, your origin story, your business solution story, your customer stories, your personal story, put them into a framework to help you create media around that. And we're, of course, going to nudge you towards video as it being the most powerful media. But to put them in a way, in a sequence that it draws people to you and your solution, your business. John has done this in an amazing way with the different books and uh, courses that he's written. And you can do the exact same thing. Go to strategicstoryplaybook.com and get your copy for free. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. It's interesting. It's, it's this, this idea is kind of around mental toughness. What you just illuminated, I think, for us is it's resetting your expectations, perhaps, is you, you, seem, to have a, you seem to have an expectation that if you're going to walk into a, a business situation, you're going to turn something around. It's, it's, it's not necessarily going to be war, which it certainly could be, but it seems like you have very realistic expectations about the truth around business which perhaps kept you from going back to where where most people would crumble and go to the bottle or whatever they would go to or drugs. You're like, this is kind of par for the course in business in general. Is that, is that a fair assumption? Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Business is a very tough world. It can be a lot of fun. There's a lot of great things about it, but you have to understand that, that, that when you, step into the arena, you have to be willing to do what it takes to survive in that arena. And what I find a lot of people is they're, you know, they're, they're kind of cut from this fair weather, uh, you know, everything is going to be working out great. I hope it does. But what we want to do is we have to be ready to go. Uh, I, I have fired so many salespeople, so many marketing people, so many business people, uh, and why? Because most of them 
gave me a list of excuses. Now I, I fired I fired a bunch of people on in one turnaround, and I waited for the phone to ring. And of the eight salespeople I fired, small team, two called me back and said, "Bullshit, you can't fire me." I hired those guys back. But the <laughs> other six, you know, I went in the witness protection program. You know, started working. You know, at a Seven Eleven. I don't know, but but they they didn't have that. They didn't have that sense. Now to get my very first turnaround, they they went out and did the the big cattle call, right? Every industry can do cattle calls. You know, hey, we're looking for for somebody to help us, and they hired people to help you know beat the bushes and find find all these people, and they they started with thirty five people, and they started whittling it down and whittling it down and whittling it down, and they got down to the final seven, and the guy who was kind of bringing me into the deal, called me up and said, hey, John, I got bad news. You're number eight. And I said, bullshit. They need eight. And <laughs> I sold myself back into being num Mr. Number eight. And then they went down to five. I made the five. Then they went down to the final two. And they said, oh, sorry, you didn't make it. And I said, bullshit. I'm number three. I said, you got to have three. <laughs> and they said, okay. And I said, now here are my conditions for me to come in and interview and pitch you guys and they said we didn't want you in the first place what do you mean your conditions <laughs> and i said well first off go through an interview the other two and beat them up do whatever you got to do and then i'm going to come in and i'll give you two days two days to make a decision am i the right guy or the wrong guy and they said okay all right we'll do that so I get there and I'm the third guy. Now, what are some of the things that I did? Well, the guy who was going to be the person I directly reported to, I sent him a handwritten thank you card, right? I mean, this is this is counter to tough ass John, yeah. but I sent him a handwritten mm. thank you card and I FedExed it to him. Now, when I walked into his office, that was sitting on top of his, on, on his desk. And I said, how many people sent you a handwritten thank you card? And he said, besides you, no one. Now, no one else did that. So I, I went through two days and they put me through the mill. I mean, you name, a, you name a department head, you name somebody, listen, we're giving you our baby. What, what are you going to do? And I said, well, here's what when you want to show up is in the last hour of this encounter, I'm going to take and pitch to you, your company, to all of your heads of your departments. And the VP looked at me and said, are you nuts? I mean, you don't even know that much about us. I said, well, we'll see you tomorrow, won't we? And I got up and I said, how do I tell a story that's 18 years in the making in just one hour? That was my opening line. And I read the room and these people were just blown away. And the CEO, who I had limited connection with, said, I need to see this guy before he leaves the building. So I go and I'm waiting in his waiting room and he had, he had an office that, you know, was like bigger than like the first house I ever bought. <laughs> and, and I go in there and he sits down and he goes, I don't know what you've done. I didn't interview any of the other guys, but everybody on my team is talking about you, Mendoza. Called me by my last name always. Of course. He goes, what, what did you do? And I said, I told your story to them in a way that they hadn't heard it. And I explained to them that I was the messenger. I was the deliverer. I was the person who is going to do that 
out in the marketplace, but not just in a happy-go-lucky way, because there's some tough decisions we're going to have to make. But we have a good story, and no one has heard it. <laughs> and he walked up to me and he said, I'm not the guy who says yes. And I said, but you are definitely the guy who could say no. <laughs> so are you going to say no? And he looked at me and said, you'll be hearing from us. I walked <laughs> out. They said, you need to hang out. They put, they put an offer in front of me. They said, John, we want you to start next week. And I said, nope, I'm flying to Vegas and taking two weeks off with my wife. And they went, what? What are you talking about? And I said, guys, because once I start this, I'm going to be locked and loaded. Yeah. Well, they, they paid me more money than they ever thought they were going to pay anybody. <laughs> but I generated millions of dollars of shareholder value. And I understood every single day, I told every one of my salespeople, what, what does a normal sales manager say? Sell the shit out of it. Sell hard, boys. Row hard. I said, we are selling to enhance our position in the market and build shareholder value every day. There wasn't a single person in the C-class who wouldn't travel with me, who wouldn't go with me and go, wow, too bad we don't have you everywhere. Well, what they didn't know and they're probably never going to listen to this, but they didn't know because it's years ago, is that I actually had two other businesses going on at the same time. <laughs> but they didn't know that because, again, speed selling is making people think that, that you know, you're the only one. And that was, and that was the value of that. And, and because of that, I was able to develop things that I would not have developed otherwise. So the reality is, is, that, I, is that if you want to build a business, you have to be very resolute in what you need to do. And more importantly, is that the world is going to test you every single day. Mm -hmm. Beautifully well spoken and needed in this world of let me use AI to generate, you know, to impersonate and generate business ideas and do the work for us. Um, very timely very much appreciated. I feel like this is only uh, episode one in many episodes <laughs> that uh, I would love to continue to have this conversation, John. Um, so what? So what's the what, what's the one question that you want to ask me that you haven't asked me? You know, that we can I, just well, wrap up on something. Well, I, I I'm going to save this for next episode. I'm going to save the, the the story when you were in the ED uh, space oh, and, yeah. and, and the and the and the pastor. We'll just save that. Folks, you got to <laughs> tune in for that one. It's hysterical. <laughs> we'll wait on that. But I think I think the one question I want to ask is um is in is about denominators. Um when you say read the room, when you're if so, you know, all our listeners, people who are in different types of industries, and we're talking about reading the room. Um what do you what, what are you looking for? What are the signals you're looking for? What were the signals you were looking for in that room when you got up and you told their story in a way that was so compelling and so different and so new and so engaging? How did you develop that? And I've seen you do this, by the way. I've worked with you years ago. You did uh, an event. I think it was in Vegas. And, right. uh, and, and just, and watched you do this. And it was absolutely mesmerizing that 
you 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 were able to communicate the avatar in the tone and the delivery what is what seemingly seemed like you you had very little time in those individual spaces and yet you went around the room and you communicated the avatar and the message beautifully what were the signals give me what what were some of the signals that you look for or what are the core signals maybe your top three that you have to see um to be able to communicate like that well let, let's let's talk about the physical side of it and then we'll talk about the mental and then emotional side of it. So the physical side of it is, is that when you're delivering anything, when you're talking to somebody, are, are you getting them to, to lean in? Are they, are they physically moving towards you or moving away from you? If you're standing in, you know, in an airport and you're talking to somebody now, you know, I talk to people in airports, even though a lot of people don't talk to anybody anymore, but I talk to people and I, and I find out all kinds of things. So if they physically will move in any way towards you, then, then you have a, a sense of what that's going to going to be like. So that that that's important because physical, uh, you know, most people cannot mask their physical state, okay. and that and that's and that's critical. Uh, the second thing is is on the mental side is that if you say something, if you say something, do you get them to do a you know aha yeah I agree with that or no I don't. So and 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 either one works. By the way, you know the negative works faster than the positive. And that's one of the challenges that we have in today's world is mm. that oftentimes you want to say something that's negative. Uh, you know, a study from UCLA uh, long ago showed that 80% of self-talk is negative. Well, that's a survival mechanism. So if we say something negative, do they react to it? Do we say something positive? So that's the mental side of it. And then the emotional side of it is how do we get them to express an emotion? When somebody doesn't express it, and I'm talking about a genuine emotion, not a, you know, I got triggered because you said, you know, Hooters or some stupid thing like that, you know, but somebody says something and they get emotionally attached to it. You know, if you say to somebody, you know, he, here's why we're here, you know, I'm, I'm selling, I'm selling computers to people, right? What, what's emotional? If I look at the program manager, if I look at the engineering manager and say, I want our support and our training to be so good that you never have to worry about that call. You know the call, the call on the weekend, the call at night that says the system is broken, the shit has hit the fan, you got, you have to come here. We have a customer who's going to show up in a week and we don't have it done. That's the kind of service that I want to give you. Now, mm -hmm. that's an emotional question, believe okay. it or not, because what yeah. you're asking to do is to see if somebody agrees with that. You know, if, if you want to give somebody that sense of confidence and commitment, then you but you have to be able to back it up. So so that that would be the, the the three things. I by the way, I for many years I resisted the training people how to read people, uh, still do to a certain extent for one warning reason. If you learn how to read people and do it exceptionally well, I do not know how to turn it off. And that means that you will see the dark side of many people. You will see things that you probably don't want to believe. You will see things that you don't want to know because you can't, you know, get them blocked out of your head. And that that is one of the challenges of it. So it's a double-edged sword. It is very valuable. In fact, it's one of the most valuable skills you can learn. And it's one of those things which I don't understand why we don't teach it to people. But part of it is that most people don't know what it is and what it means. Hmm. Okay. Fascinating. 
well, so John, much we, more. Yeah, we could go on for hours with you, yeah. but we won't. But there's a way for people to, if they want to go on hours with you, <laughs> tell them how to do that, John. So they can go to positiontowinbook.com, really long, but positiontowinbook.com and check it out. There's the book. You know, you can go get my book, which is most businesses fail in the first five minutes. We get it. We do a whole hour about why that happens. Uh, and, and you can check out what I have. There's some free stuff there and uh, you can either buy the book or you can buy some of my other stuff and you can find out more about me and do that. And for those who are serious enough, uh, you know, we, we actually have contact information. You have to go through a couple of hoops, but I actually talk to people because I want to see if they're real or not. Uh, I have yet to find a form that sifts and sorts people to the kind of people that I want. So if you're in out there and you want to talk, uh, find a way to do it. And by the way, that's like your first test. That's your first test. Can you make it through that, that, that test, that blockade? Because if you can, then who knows, maybe you've got what it takes. <laughs> awesome. I love it. John. All right, John, we are going to man. schedule a next. Sorry, Bob. We're yeah. going to schedule a next. There has to be a next and a third, okay. I'm afraid. The stories are too good, too juicy. <laughs> okay. All right. So is, is this what you guys wanted? Totally. Totally. It's totally. all good. So good. All good. Well, we should we should close it out just so uh, editors have a place to stop. Oh. So, John, thank you, my friend. Always good to connect with you. Um, can't wait till we talk the next time. Thank you, John. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regnerus and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.